You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I'm Sydney Foreman. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, April 27, 2020. Later in the program, Sydney Foreman talks to Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton in her recurring segment, A Few Minutes with the Mayor. Also coming up in the next half hour, Cade Young continues his conversation with Matt Hauser, an IU researcher who co-led a survey breaking down public opinion in the state on climate change. That's all coming up later in the program. But first, your local headlines. First up, the latest coronavirus numbers. Indiana State Department of Health reported 963 new positive cases and 31 new deaths. Total positive cases nearly hit 16,000 people with 844 total deaths. The state tested 84,476 total people. 18.9% of total tests came back positive with coronavirus. Monroe County has 120 total positive cases. Seven total deaths were reported in Monroe County. Almost half of the new positive case count in the state comes from Cass County after a meatpacking plant experienced a COVID-19 outbreak. Tyson Fresh Meats Plant in Logansport temporarily closed its doors after 146 employees tested positive for novel coronavirus. Cass County now has over 1,000 total positive cases. The Monroe County Commissioners considered 10 local businesses to receive food and beverage emergency grants due to COVID-19 impacts. County Attorney Jeff Cockerell presented the businesses under consideration during their April 22nd meeting. The first was back to nature cabins and the recommendation was for $7,000. Trivia was skip and the recommendation was for $1,800. Used to be new and the recommendation is for $3,000. Big Sky Campgrounds and the recommendation is for $8,950. Uh, Sycamore Farms Bloomington, Inc., and the recommendation is for $5,000. Robert Woodling Reynolds, and the recommendation is for $3,800. Terry's Catering, LLC, and the recommendation is for $5,000. Trailhead Enterprises, Inc., and the recommendation is for $8,528. Night Ridge, Inc., and the recommendation is for $15,274. And Wee Willie's West, and the recommendation is for $10,000. Cockerell said the total from all applications is approximately $68,400. Cockerell said all applicants were interviewed by a commissioner before being presented for approval. Suzanne Sharp of Back to Nature Cabins shared some of her business's struggles. Our, our friends um, that would normally gather in groups canceled, bridal showers canceled, IU graduation, of course, canceled. By now, we would usually have um, dozens and dozens of summer bookings because people are planning. Very few. Um, We had a lot of cancellations with Airbnb, ERBO. You know, we had to make decisions about advertising. 
do we have the money to advertise? We've got to advertise. Um, how are we, if people come to us, how are we going to host them safely? Commission members unanimously approved the 10 requested grants. Cockrell said individual agreements will be sent to each business. At 3 p.m. today, CDC's Division of Laboratory Systems will host a call to discuss hot topics and to solicit the laboratory community's questions on the national response to the COVID-19 pandemic. These clinical laboratory COVID-19 response calls will take place every Monday at 3 p.m. Information for the Zoom invitation is available on the CDC's website. Indiana State Department of Corrections said two Indiana prison guards died over the weekend from coronavirus-related deaths. The Associated Press reports one guard, 67-year-old Gary Weinke, worked at the Wabash Valley Correctional Facility near the town of Carlisle in southwestern Indiana's Sullivan County, died Saturday from COVID-19 complications and had worked at the prison on March 29th. AP reported that a guard from Indiana Women's Prison in Indianapolis also died Saturday with a presumed coronavirus illness. Four prison inmates have died in Indiana. According to the State Department of Correction, total prison staff members made up 133 of positive cases. State Corrections Department said 298 people in prison were tested positive with novel COVID-19. The Monroe County Public Library Board of Trustees discussed a compensation and working-from-home proposal during their April 17th meeting. Board member Marilyn Wood said the library has been running under its emergency plan, which pays essential workers time and a half. Now, that emergency plan is was really meant for those short-term weather events uh, and with some obvious um, indication here, we've never obviously been in a place like this before where uh, we were out for an extended period of time. And so um, the, the um, plan that we are suggesting with this proposal is to is to move to a work-from-home uh, phase. Wood said the work-from-home proposal will pay employees at their regular rates. She said only a small portion of employees were working on time and a half. She said income tax drops will affect future library funding. Um, income taxes, local income taxes, will be affected in the, in the second portion of the year, although we should see about the same rate. It, next year is when we will see um, potentially significant changes in our revenue stream. Um, <clears throat> right now, we're only seeing projections of what that might look like, but we obviously don't know how long this is going to last or, or, or what it might be in the end. Um, I will add, um, because this is just something that is, that is out there, there are some libraries that are looking at various staffing models as well or changes in their staffing as time goes on just based on their on the, the revenue sources that they have or, or don't have, um, including laying people off. So we um, are in a little better state than, than some of those, uh, particularly city libraries that are depend that the, where the city is dependent on using those funds for other things that they're experiencing and having revenue losses that are much higher. Wood said the library still offers many online and virtual services. Board members unanimously approved the work from home proposal. With the latest update on Bloomington Transit, we turn to WFHB News correspondent Jake Jacobson. The Bloomington Public Transportation Corporation Board of Directors voted last week to postpone decisions on recommended service changes for Bloomington Transit routes. 
The decision to wait comes in response to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, which has caused uncertainty around funding for Bloomington Transit. In a press release, Bloomington Transit General Manager Lou May says, quote, The COVID-19 pandemic could result in major funding reductions from federal, state, and local sources. As such, it's important for us to know what and how much those cuts may be before moving forward with most service changes, end quote. In an email to WFHB, May further clarifies that the decision to postpone the approval is precautionary, saying, quote, It's too early now to know if COVID-related funding reduction will happen, and if they do, what magnitude will they be? End quote. The proposed changes are the result of a year-long route optimization study. Starting in 2018, Bloomington Transit and IU Campus Bus partnered with Foursquare ITP, a transportation planning firm, for a year-long analysis of Bloomington's bus network. Foursquare ITP presented its recommendations last June, with the initial plan of full implementation this year. The report identifies five new markets that could benefit from dedicated routes, including Ivy Tech, which is currently serviced by Rural Transit, the new IU Health Bloomington Hospital site, which is not currently serviced by any transit service, and the Social Security Administration office on Patterson Drive. The report recommends the elimination or reshuffling of some routes as well, due to redundancies that would free up resources to help serve other areas. The report also suggests the establishment of a microtransit service to serve the market that the IU Night Owl bus currently serves. If approved, the full recommendations would be the first large-scale changes to Bloomington Transit services and routes in 20 years, according to May, who says the company has made smaller, incremental changes over the years. May says that Bloomington Transit will have a better picture of their 2021 funding and budget by late summer 2020. As a result, service changes to Bloomington Transit's fixed routes recommended by the Route Optimization Study will not be implemented before January 2021. For WFHB, I'm Jake Jacobson. Now for your feature reports. Up first, Cade Young continues his conversation with Matt Hauser, an IU researcher who co-led the Hoosier Life Survey to find out what Indiana thinks about climate change. This is part two of that interview. How does your survey relate to the coronavirus pandemic in terms of Indiana's attitudes on the scientific community? We happened to ask about um, what crises Hoosiers might expect uh, in the next decade. I, I want to emphasize here, this was not like some premonition that we had or anything. This uh, was, was totally uh, a question that Eric Sandweiss, I, I believe, had originally written and, and I certainly viewed as, as a way to just generally gauge people's um, risk perceptions, you know, sort of what dangers did they anticipate generally. Uh, and, and given the circumstances now, it, it's this very interesting question because we included a, a, one of the sub-questions in there about do people expect a major disease outbreak to happen? Uh, and ultimately it becomes who got it right type question, which is uh, kind of fascinating. So, so we see that uh, amongst the topics that we asked about, major disease outbreak, extreme weather event, government shutdown, and an economic crisis, major disease outbreak was actually the, the event that Hoosiers least, were least likely to anticipate to impact them in the next decade 
In total, about 18% of Hoosiers felt that it was likely or very likely to impact them compared to, for instance, economic crisis, uh, where we see 56% of Hoosiers say that this is likely or very likely to impact them. Now, obviously, um, we are actually seeing both uh, at the moment, uh, given the collateral damage of, of COVID-19, but it, it's quite clear that Hoosiers weren't necessarily, or a high percentage of Hoosiers weren't necessarily expecting a major disease outbreak to then cause an economic crisis. Why do you think that we weren't anticipating uh, a major health crisis in today's time? It's it's interesting. I mean, to me, there are some parallels, certainly, between COVID-19 and climate change generally. I, I think your question implies, at least to me, if we look back, there were a a number of warnings or people saying that a major disease outbreak will happen. It's just a matter of when. Uh, experts offering that that perspective, and yet, uh, you know, the vast majority of Hoosiers felt like that wasn't going to happen. And and I will certainly say, if you would have given this survey to me, I probably would have marked that as the least likely thing I would have experienced too. Mm-hmm. Climate change obviously parallels that in some way, in that experts have recommended for decades now uh, that we should take action because this is a severe uh, consequence, a severe crisis that is, is looming and will have significant uh, or catastrophic impacts if we don't do things to mitigate it. And uh, I think people are, are, are taking the same attitude of, well, that's a future event that I can't be worried about today, or I don't expect it to be likely to harm me yeah. And we actually see that in some of the questions as well, whenever we ask about different perceptions of who people feel like will be greatly harmed by climate change. Uh, other people in the state versus themselves, they're much more less likely to feel like they're going to be hurt by it in any way. Mm-hmm. So clear parallels to me. Yeah, I definitely do see the parallels between uh, climate change and this coronavirus pandemic, for sure. Now, what can we do to improve our ability to tackle a crisis like this in the future? As we noted with climate change, the most at-risk populations are going to suffer the most from it. And we're seeing similar things with, from COVID-19, where lower income and racial minorities across the country are suffering the most severe health consequences from it. And really what it implies to me is that if we want to be resilient to any type of potential crises or disturbance, uh, great degrees of inequality that expose certain groups much more significantly to those risks will put uh, the vast, will put vast numbers of Americans at the, the threat of potential catastrophic consequences. So by having systems that are prepared for variability in crises like that, and by taking into account that not everyone is able at the household level to equally deal with disruptions in their life and having policies proactively put in place, we can be prepared for all all sorts of issues from COVID-19 to climate change. And it's important, again, that we do it now and not after the fact, as we've seen with COVID-19. Now, do you have any concluding thoughts on this survey that you uh, spent all this time doing? Yeah, the, the conclusion is uh, more work needs to be done. This is, this is really our initial offering. We wanted to 
give people as many questions and results as possible, as broadly as possible in this report, but we've got more coming. We wanna do more detailed analyses that uh, both will be for scientific journals and, and studies, uh, but also we wanna do public facing reports that, that dig into the topics um, more extensively than what we've done in, in this report. Now we're, we're all nerds and excited and so we couldn't help ourselves. There's the spotlight sections in the report begin to do that, but in the future, we intend to unpack more of these results uh, in much more detail. So uh, this is this is really just the, the first little uh, depiction of, of uh, the findings we have from the Hoosier Life Survey. All right. Well, I'm talking to Matt Hauser, research scientist at Indiana University about the Hoosier Life Survey. This survey is one of the most comprehensive statewide public opinion surveys of environmental change. Thank you for your time, Matt. I really appreciate you talking with me today. Absolutely. Thank you so much. This was uh, wonderful. And I am really grateful you took the time to uh, read our report. Up next, Sydney Foreman interviews Mayor John Hamilton in her recurring Monday segment, A Few Minutes with the Mayor. We now turn to Sydney Foreman for more. Community members posted questions on our social media via Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, posing questions to Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton about current issues. Today, on A Few Minutes with the Mayor, John Hamilton answers these questions. All right, so our first question here today is coming from Joshua Olivo, and they're asking, how well positioned financially is the city of Bloomington for the ensuring depression that will inherently result after a multi-month economic shutdown, especially for an economy that is based so much upon a student's population that will largely be gone for months and months? Well, that's a really good question uh, and something we're thinking about a lot. Um, the first thing I'd say is we strongly encourage the federal government to support local governments like ours that are bearing some of the brunt of the of the slowdown and it's so important that we uh, keep keep providing the services that we do we're in strong fiscal shape let me say that first we have good reserves we have strong rainy day uh, fund reserves uh, in position to help with uh, slowdowns in the economy we certainly saw that in in the uh, about eight years ago or so uh, ten years ago after the last recession in uh, 08-09 and um, were able to weather that. Though this is different, having 26 million people unemployed uh, is a dramatic uh, hit to the economy. Typically our finances uh, we get from different sources, whether it's gas tax or fees from operations or whether it's property tax or income tax and all of those run on their own rhythm, uh, but we do know we're going to need to be planning for this. Um, the 2021 budget development starts actually this week formally with a meeting with city council and we're going to be talking about what are the different parameters. And as, as Joshua points out, one of the big questions is how is IU going to operate? Will they have students here in the fall or will they not? Uh, how many? and that does affect our economy. So we're having to be flexible and prepared, uh, and um, we are. One thing I would say is it's important to remember that governments are often importantly counter-cyclical in times like this. That is when the private economy is shrinking, 
it's one of the most important times for governments to step up and make sure we are trying to fill the gap, particularly the social safety needs and the and the basic human needs uh, to make sure we don't shrink government at the same time the private sector is shrinking in ways that make things worse. So we'll be looking at all that. So the next question then is from Lana Stonebreaker. They are saying and asking, I have heard that the Hotels for the Homeless collaboration, which is currently funded through individual contributions, has been very successful and has expanded. And they are asking, what is the city doing financially to support this program? Several weeks ago, I asked a group of local philanthropy leaders and social service leaders to meet and and wrestle with what are the most important basic social service needs that are under stress and, and, and so important to have operating in our city. There were about four areas that they focused on. One of them was shelter uh, and is shelter and housing. Another is child care for essential workers. Another is food security. And a final is kind of public health and mental health and, and uh, support services around addiction and those kinds of things. Um, and, and in terms of the housing, we actually um, have, have brought in a, a significant new state money to help support a uh, actually conversion of a hotel into uh, COVID-related, disease-related housing, uh, and that has served several people so far and will continue to serve people so far. The particular question about hotels for homeless, um, I know that group is in contact with the people who are trying to coordinate all of those services, which is a good thing. And um, I know we've also helped uh, stand up a, a new shelter that has helped take some of the pressures off of existing shelters like Friends Place and Wheeler Mission and uh, New Hope and others um, to do that. So that that group is one of several that are working to help assure we keep uh, our populations as safe as we can. And I'm glad they're coordinating with the with the work that I talked about. Um, the rest of the questions we have here today are from WFHB. So do you think that the city or the county is going to extend any sort of stay-at-home order beyond May 1st? That's a really interesting question. Uh, the governor uh, is expected this week to give some clarity on what they think the path of Indiana should be. And yes, locally, both the county and the city, as well as our health partners uh, are talking about how do we want to handle that locally, both how can we handle it legally and how do we want to handle it as a policy matter. Um, I do think it's important to note that the state can give guidance. Uh, the state can do more than that, but the state could give guidance on loosening up. But at the local level, we want to be very attentive to how that works. I want to thank people, uh, everyone in the community. We've really, I think, done a very good job of overall flattening the curve and protecting our healthcare system. We have something like a couple dozen people in hospital right now in town for COVID, uh, which is a manageable number. We certainly want to have as few as possible, but we've avoided a a crash of the healthcare system, which is what was so important with the stay-at-home order and the restrictions and re reductions on transmission. Um, figuring out how and when to loosen that, uh, where, uh, in what kind of circumstances, uh, monitoring, making sure we're not backsliding is going to be really important. We don't have enough testing yet for that 
So we are indeed locally talking every week, several times a week, about how do we want to manage any um, changes. And I believe that should really be led at the local level as we pay attention to the situation on the ground here in our own community and, and look forward to doing that. Mm-hmm. And who would be giving out this order? Is that something that city council will do or county council or you as the mayor? Well, there are a couple different options. Uh, the county can declare an emergency through the county commissioners. They have done that. Um, the city can declare an emergency through the mayor uh, with, in each of those circumstances with legislative uh, actions thereafter. Either one or both can do those things. Um, the county health department could also independently, I believe, declare health emergencies. So uh, there are several players that can play the role. Um, and I think what we're trying to do is talk together and coordinate and identify um, what how, how we want to gradually and incrementally evolve from the pandemic emergency that we're in to the better place we want to get to. Uh, and just make sure we do it safely. But the first thing I'll say and emphasize is that the physical distancing has been very effective, it appears, and we want to continue that physical distancing uh, in, the, in the foreseeable future in general to, to keep the virus from jumping from person to person. And so the last few set of questions here are just kind of more logistical things to kind of clarify any questions that the community might have about the loans that the city is giving out in relief. The city has begun to award businesses and nonprofits the financial awards from the city's Rapid Response Fund for the city businesses related to tourism. And where exactly can local organizations find these applications to apply? Yes, we have had almost 200 um, people, organizations, businesses, nonprofits start the process of application, which is an online based application, essentially. Can go to the city website and, and just alert, search for Rapid Response Fund and you'll find how to do that. Or you can call Economic and Sustainable Development Department. Um, of those almost 200, about 50 or plus have formally fully applied and a couple dozen have been approved, uh, totaling up to about half a million dollars, I think, in loans. So. We have people working really hard to process those quickly. I know money has actually already gone out the door to support some institutions, businesses, nonprofits, and uh, we have many, many, many more that are interested to try to help uh, get through these tough times. So go online to the city website uh, or call Economic and Sustainable Development Department. Either way, uh, you can you can get in that lineup and find out more about it. Mm-hmm. Is there a deadline for turning in this application? It's a rolling application, so the sooner the better, uh, but uh, there is no closing date for the application, so uh, it's just a rolling application. And then the last question I have for this is, what is the interest rate that the city has put on this loan? It's it's not set in stone. I believe the interest rate is approximately 2%, uh, but there's also uh, periods of no interest payment and no payments where there's a upfront uh, lag so that you don't pay any interest, um, but the interest rate is approximately 2%, I believe, overall. Do you have a question for Mayor John Hamilton? Comment that question on this coming week's post for a few minutes with the mayor to have your question answered. For WFHB, I'm Sydney Foreman. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. 
Today's headlines were written by Jake Jacobson, Cade Young, and Sydney Foreman in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our features were produced by Cade Young and Sydney Foreman. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Our executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Sydney Foreman. And I'm Cade Young. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent local news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast, as well as other WFHB news programming, online at WFHB.org. You can be a part of our award-winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email news at WFHB.org. Stay tuned for With Good Reason, coming up next on WFHB. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer 